0: The Hen That Feeds You is an audio drama podcast that follows a linear storyline. That means if today is your first time joining us, first of all, hi, welcome, how you doing? Secondly, make sure that you start with episode one and listen to each episode in order or you just might miss something really important. Please be advised, this podcast may contain explicit language, adult situations, including sexual situations and elements of horror, as well as other content that may make some uncomfortable. Listener discretion is advised. And now... Without further ado, let's jump in to the hand that feeds you. Far across town, from the modest single-family homes where the Taylor family lived and operated their Airbnb, just one block east of the courthouse square, there lies a small, sequestered area of town. Forest Grove, or as the locals call it, Country Club Estates, an historic community of old money mansions which sit atop their perfectly manicured lawns, each consisting of at least half an acre. Prime real estate, indeed. The streets only run north and south, with no cross streets to interrupt them, each bearing the moniker of a flowering tree, dogwood, cherry, and magnolia. Now if you needed just one example of the exuberant wealth of this neighborhood, you could find it at 300 Magnolia Street, a stately, three-story, red-brick Georgian colonial. Her walls stand tall and proud, head and shoulders above all the rest. Clad in ivy, adorned with oversized, flickering Parsons lanterns, and neatly trimmed with tastefully tarnished, copper guttering and downspouts. Not only a showstopper in her appointments, but also in scale. Something that didn't just happen by chance. Intentionally designed to be the largest house on the block, in the mid 19th century, Hollingshead was on the shortlist to become the state capital. The city's impressive courthouse, originally intended to serve as the capital building, and 300 Magnolia, the governor's mansion. But it was never meant to be. Hollingshead's dreams of grandeur soon faded as it lost its hopeful title to Augusta. The capital was demoted to a mere courthouse. And although the splendid mansion never called itself the residence of the most important elected official in the state, it would find solace in accommodating the most powerful elected official in the city, the mayor. On this particular morning, around the time Andy was headed down to join her hosts for breakfast, Mrs. Bond was preparing breakfast in the large, well-appointed kitchen of 300 Magnolia. Eleanor Bond had descended from the bloodline of the Vanderbilts, one of the wealthiest families in American history. When her great-great-grandfather brought the railroad into the far northeastern territory, before Maine was incorporated as a state, he settled with his family in the area that would later become Hollingshead. He had chosen this undeveloped land with the intention of going into politics and carving out the state governorship for himself. While those plans never came to fruition, the family remained, and their wealth and influence became an integral part of the town's history. Named after one of the pioneers of the American feminist movement, Eleanor Roosevelt, her mother had hoped that, like her namesake, Eleanor would be strong, independent, and outspoken in the face of adversity. A shining beacon, or at least a squeaky wheel, in an overwhelmingly patriarchal society, and she certainly was. Her husband, the mayor, knew this. Historically, Eleanor's family, most notably her grandmother, had been very involved in the spiritualist movement. That love of mysticism and the occult had been instilled into Eleanor since childhood, and it was something which she was still vehemently passionate about. Not only did she feel strongly connected with the spirit world, but often claimed herself to be clairvoyant. Because of these beliefs, she often found herself at odds with the pious, protestant upper echelon of the town. As mayor, her husband was certainly vocal about his protest toward her beliefs, or at the very least, discussing them publicly. While, personally, He couldn't care one way or another what form of religion his wife practiced. I mean, hell, he was probably more of an atheist than anything. But modern society looked down upon the strange beliefs of spiritualism. For them, religion had evolved into something much more tame. Something safe. They'd filtered out the bad and kept what they deemed good. For them, God was a loving white-haired benevolent grandfather more like santa claus looking down upon them watching over them granting wishes and answering their prayer requests so long as they went to church every sunday and dropped 10 percent of their earnings into the collection plate oh and as long as they didn't get divorced or dance or if they did at least they learned how to hide it from him for eleanor it was so much more than that. The simpletons around her may have chosen to disregard the dark energies, the demonic entities, the paralleled universes and portals that constantly shifted all around them. But it certainly didn't make those things go away, nor did it make their effects upon these non-believers' lives any less severe. They were constantly affected by them, yet they remained in denial they simply chose to ignore it all. But not Eleanor. She could see it. All of it. The things that they couldn't explain, she sought the answers for. The ideals they shunned, she embraced. The ancient secrets they had lost, she kept. She believed. She practiced. In spite of all this, Eleanor, like her husband, could see the value in keeping some things hidden from her daily life. After all, the secrets of the ancients weren't open for everyone. No, they were sacred. Closely held by a select group of individuals, wise women and men who knew their value, knew their power. Knew not only how, but when to use them. So, she kept them safely locked away. To any of her bridge-playing friends, the girls at the club, her minister, she was merely Eleanor Bond, mayor's wife, and a proud member of the Hollingshead First Lutheran Church. Now this morning began just like any other. At five in the morning, Eleanor ventured to the kitchen to prepare her husband, Raymond, his favorite breakfast. Now, they had a cook, but breakfast was never part of her charge, because only Eleanor knew just how her husband liked his eggs, and only she could prepare the bacon exactly as he wanted it. So, this morning, like any other, she swam around the sea of marble and stainless steel that was her grand kitchen, grabbing a little of this and adding just a dash of that. Wrapped in her Italian silk nightrobe, atop fuzzy slippers, with her two stocky corgis, Felix and Oscar, yapping at her heels, hoping she'd drop them a scrap of bacon, everything was perfectly routine. Only today was different. Today was special. Sure, she always carefully flipped his fried eggs so that they didn't break, but today she made him three instead of his usual two. She added a few extra tablespoons of real maple syrup to his strips of bacon as they sizzled in the pan, the way she used to make it before it was decided that he needed to cut back on the sugar. His black coffee was even more scalding than usual. And knowing that he always started with the political op-eds of the paper, she made sure to have that section prominently waiting next to his cup of coffee when he sat down in his chair at the head of the table. Little things that would butter him up, but not tip him off, that she was working him up to ask a favor. A favor that she knew he wouldn't like. A favor that she knew she may well have to exercise that outspoken assertiveness that she wasn't afraid to flex from time to time. The bacon's delicious this morning he said through a half-chewed mouthful. You like it? Um, three eggs? What did I do to deserve all this? He raised an eyebrow at her playfully. I just like taking care of my husband. She cupped his chin, turned his face toward hers, and planted a kiss on his greasy, wet lips. He smiled. I think you're just buttering me up for something. Either it's bad news or you're wanting something. Now, which is it? He chuckled as he sipped his coffee. Maybe he did know her a little bit better than she had given him credit for. All right, you've got me. There is something I was hoping you could do for me. I'm listening. Andy Sterling is in town. Who? The writer? I've never heard of her. What's she written? Nothing that you've read, I'm sure. Oh, so some of your ghost stories, huh? Raymond was a practical man. He thought any literary work involving nonfiction was a waste of time. Even though he tolerated Nora's nightly reading in bed, he often told her that her time would be better spent falling asleep between the pages of some biography of a notable president, like Lincoln or Monroe. These dime store novels, as he called them, weren't worth the paper they were printed on. Raymond, I was hoping that you might be able to figure out where she's staying. I'd love the chance to meet her. Nora, you know I would do anything for you, honestly. Truly. But, uh, no, I really don't think that's a good idea. Oh, you're just being stubborn. What harm could it do? She is a writer, one of my favorites, all I'm wanting is to grab a simple cup of coffee with her and maybe have her sign a book or two. What good is it to have a mare for a husband if he isn't willing to pull a few strings every now and then? My dear, why do you think she is here? Here, of all places. You're obsessed, Raymond, really, Nora! The Festival of Leaves is coming up next month. You know how it draws in the tourists. It also means millions in revenue. Of course I do. What does that have to do with this town has worked hard to clean up its reputation? But every once in a while, one of these fiction writers comes around, poking their nose where it doesn't belong hoping to find a story that we don't want told. Raymond, that was years ago. What's the harm? The harm is, we become a town with a dark past. A town that is diseased. The tourists stop coming, at least the ones who spend any money. Our economy dries up, and we become a town of unemployed meth addicts. She laughed at this. Do you hear yourself? Don't you think you're being the least bit overdramatic? His face turned serious. Nora, honey, let's not forget that your family has ties to that past. Your great-great-grandfather. I know that, Raymond. Well, think about what would happen to all the charities you run. The organizations that you spearhead. If word were to get out that he. Fine, Raymond. She paused for a moment. Fine. If you are that serious about this, then. then let's just forget the whole thing. It's for the best, my dear, he appealed. For a moment, she almost snapped back at him, but then she stopped. Finish your breakfast, she said with a smile, wiping the bacon grease from his chin. Sure, she could have pushed him, but she didn't. She knew that he was right. Part of her didn't care about the dark history of the town or or at least what folks might say about it. But part of her did. Her family did have blood on their hands and Keeping their story safely locked away was a part of their legacy that she had vowed to help preserve, whether she agreed with it or not. Besides, she could take a trip to New York and meet Andy at some book signing any old time. So, she chose to stay quiet. She chose to let him win. This time. After Raymond's incident last year, His cardiologist had told him that it was time to limit fried foods, and that meant finding healthier options for his daily breakfast. Maybe some avocado toast. She'd save her trump card for that argument. Yeah, that's what she'd do. The Hand That Feeds You is written and recorded by me, Tim Baker. I sincerely want to say thank you for taking the time to listen. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. I would appreciate if you could leave a rating. That's what helps the podcast appear higher in the search results. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends. There's no better way to promote a podcast than by word of mouth. New episodes will be released every week. And again, thank you for listening. Until next time, stay skeptical.